We are live, live from Starfleet headquarters. It's Starfleet boy. Um, and today we're going to have a casual and informal discussion about the Star Trek, the next generation episode one, one, zero, zero, one, zero, zero, one, uh, a very interesting and cool and unique and good episode. And I'm joined by my esteemed co-host, the doctor. Hello. Hello, doctor. Once again. Yes, you were having some trouble on the TARDIS, on the mall yeah. shop. Yeah. 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 <laughs> a solar flare or something, as you said. <laughs> Strangely oh, parallel. A strange parallel to the episode we're about to talk about. We, we lost uh, the containment field in the <laughs> <laughs> Um. So this is a pretty cool episode. Um, it's uh, It starts out... Uh, actually, this episode was referenced uh, two episodes episodes ago in the in data lore at the end of the episode captain picard um reminds Riker that the ship is due for a computer upgrade of some kind and so then we you know we don't we think it doesn't go anywhere because we went to angel one which the doctor hated <laughs> which is like going nowhere <laughs> let's let's not you you doctor you above all others should know the dangers of opening Reopening old wounds. <laughs> we did not agree on that episode, but we do agree. I think I'm getting the impression that we do agree that this episode was fantastic. I yes, it's one of my favorites of all time. I like the way you you gave the summary in the last one. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and do you want to do the summary together? Do you want to, or maybe do you want to do a summary? I'd be curious to hear yours. Um. The Enterprise arrives at a starbase for a refit of the computers. And uh, Riker kind of goes on a tour of um, the ship and encounters various crew members and sees how they're going to uh, pass the time. I guess it's... Uh, yeah, they're going to... It's like a vacation almost. It's like they're like going to have like a day off. A day off. Much, much like um, Memorial Day. Much like, which is today. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Great Memorial Day episode. <laughs> so Riker, you know, he goes along the Enterprise, meets with a few uh, few crew members, sees what they're doing. He himself doesn't really have anything to do, as he himself mentions. Uh, and then he uh, runs into the, the binars near the holodeck. And they're like, you want to give it a go? And he's like, sure. And he goes in, and he is absolutely in, enraptured with this uh, this woman that is on the holodeck, uh, Minuet, in a uh, uh, is it it's New Orleans, right? Uh, yeah, he he almost chooses Kansas City, but then he changes his mind then he at the last minute. Yes, yeah. good choice, good choice. And um, later on, Picard joins them. And they're both sort of, you know, enamored, enamored <laughs> by this, by Minuet. Um, what they're not aware of is that while they're aboard, while they're inside the holodeck, uh, the containment field uh, seems to be malfunctioning on the Enterprise. And Data, being third in command, being the only one around in command, says, okay, guys, we got to evacuate. We got to send the ship. Uh, as far away as we can, and it's going to blow up. So everybody off the ship, 
So we see an evacuation of the Enterprise, which is interesting. Really cool stuff, yeah. Very cool stuff. And as soon as they're off, the uh, they learn that the containment field is back on, and they realize, wait a minute, there's something wrong. And but the Enterprise is gone; it's it's left the starbase. And they realize that not only is the Enterprise left the starbase, but Picard and Riker are nowhere to be found. Dun dun. So <laughs> well, um, back on the holodeck, uh, Riker and well, Picard says, you know, I'm. I'm kind of cramping Riker's style. He obviously wants to <laughs> to, to test the full potentials of this holiday program. Let me let me uh, get let me give him some space. But Minuet doesn't doesn't let him, and they both catch on right away. Wait a minute, there's something wrong here, and they leave the they uh, they realize that the ship has in fact been commandeered by an unknown threat, and they find out it's the Binars. Uh, they're on their way to their home planet. They, um, what happens? In, um, oh, then they're, they, uh, they grab the weapons. We see, fa we see the weapons are, well, they have to, they have to arm up. You never they have know. To arm up. It's exciting stuff, man. <laughs> they beam into the bridge and they find that the binars are, um, they look dead and they learn the state of their planet which is that uh, their planet was, um, they miscalculated uh, a solar flare. Well, actually, uh, in, the, in the episode, uh, one of the suns in their system goes supernova. Oh, is that what it, okay. Yeah, and so they, they didn't realize, they knew it would affect the computer system, so they created this whole plan. To hijack the largest mobile computer, Apparently in federate in the Federation, which is or maybe even in in the known galaxy in the known ga that they're aware of. Yeah, and uh, they use it to it's what is they they download they download their entire they, the core yeah their whole core their core system gets downloaded onto the Enterprise and then mm -hmm. uh, it's stored there for safekeeping while the planet reboots. But unfortunately, they pass out before they can do it complete their mission so they which forces Riker and Picard to go back to Minuet and um, try to figure out well how you know how do we reboot the computer they find a way to reboot the computer of course and um, the binars are saved they're sorry they're very sorry uh, that they uh, enacted this elaborate ruse to uh, to steal the Enterprise, but they, they really were, they felt they were in a corner, backed into a corner, and they, they as the episode illustrates, they they think in binary. So the answer is either yes or no, and they could not risk the no. Right. So they made it a yes on their own terms, <laughs> and they stole the Enterprise, and Picard uh, says, well, you know, no one was hurt. It's okay. And uh, he pilots the ship back into Starbase. <laughs> A great, a great scene. And then um, it, there's, a, there's a note of melancholy because Riker returns to the holodeck hoping to find Minuet. And the, uh, the program, the initial program was created by the Binars as a lure to keep them in there. So once the Binars are gone, the holodeck is uh, back to normal. Uh, and Minuet is, is gone. There is no more Minuet. And Riker is, is quite sad. Disappointed. She's gone. Oh, uh, 
I pay the devil to replace her. She's gone. Thank you for that musical interlude. <laughs> and uh, and what does Picard uh, what does Picard say to Riker? Not all relationships work out. <laughs> Basically, and uh, that's the, end of the episode. That's my summary. That was I okay. love the episode. I I can see you did love the episode, but also may I just say that that was a freaking amazing summary. I might actually call on you more often for this. And no, I, just want, I like your summary. No, no, that was really cool. But you summed it all up really wonderfully, and so now we can kind of like dig in. And I, you know, I agree with you. This is a really great episode. I um I loved. So this is another episode. So now we can we can have a. Kind of like a comparison. This is another episode that that is heavy on the exposition. We find out a lot about the characters, but it sounds to me like the difference between Angel One and this one is that the the um, danger involved and the kind of threat is way more believable and plausible than and interesting than uh, we saw in Angel One. Would you? What would you think? There's uh, there's there's tension in this yeah. episode. I mean, there's uh, there every there, there's beats, you know, there is once, um, once you see, once we see that there's something wrong on the enterprise and we have to, everyone has to escape the enterprise. That's one action beat. And, and plus we know that Riker and Picard are, are trapped there. We, the audience know that, but initially the crew doesn't know that. So there's tension there. And yeah, then, and then they, they, they crank up the tension with Picard's decision to uh, launch into self-destruct, which of course all Star Trek fans know <laughs> about, and it's exciting, and uh, they they have five minutes, they have five <laughs> minutes to resolve all this, and we don't even know why this is happening. Right, so it's true. Tension just keeps building and building and building, and um, and you know, also to compare it with Angel One. Um, the little character moments work. I mean, data painting. Um, that's that's a great moment. And then yeah, it's pretty cool. It's and and it's cool, and it doesn't take itself seriously because at the end, Riker says, "Oh, well, this is gonna, this is a historic moment." And Jordy's like, "Why?" It's like, "Well, it's a blind man teaching an android how to paint." It's kind of hurt two pages in somebody's book. And that's, that's a great line. That was a great line. That was a great moment. Great Riker I, is excellent in this episode. Much I think, better yeah. The, this was definitely a Riker-centric episode, and I also like how he has a real hard time uh, separating work from time off. Um, he says it a couple times. Uh, you know, I like the scene in the in the Triple If where Picard, <laughs> Picard is describing a really pretty awesome chill time. He's like, "I'm going to turn on my relaxation light." And <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna turn on my relaxation light, have and start and read a book and just kind of like relax. You know, he's not he's not gonna he doesn't plan to do anything. He's gonna totally disconnect from being captain of the Enterprise, but he is staying on board, which is you know very good and proper. Um, but Riker says, "I can never organize my time off. I I all but something always. Ha he's like more adventurous in his." In his way, he's like something always happens. You know, something always does. He says something always comes up. Comes up. That's what he says. So he's an example like, of more double of a... entendre. 
as we both know. So you think Riker's just discreetly saying, I'm going to go hit the bar scene and see what's going on. Or well, isn't that what he does? <laughs> it is well, that's the first thing he does. Give me a bar in New Orleans at 2 a.m. That's true. He doesn't even want like, the 9 o'clock crowd. He doesn't <laughs> want the 10 o'clock crowd. Give me the people that are still at the bar at 2 a.m. That's <laughs> who I want to knock boots with. <laughs> Uh, well, I've been in I've been in many bars at two a.m. and I have to tell you, it is a really interesting time at a bar. And that's Riker's time. It's true. The two two a.m. and uh, <laughs> you know, I, I I really these this is the kind of episode that makes me really like Riker. I think he's very relatable. Um, you know, he, the 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 conversations that him and Picard have about minuets and um what is what did he say about the illusion well picard's really fascinated picard doesn't let himself get swept up in the fantasy as much as Riker did like he's fascinated by it um and he's just kind of like a you could even see in the scenes uh between the three of them uh commander Riker's just completely intently um focused on minuet and picard seems to be really amused just like watching the two of them interact and he's just like oh this is really uh, <laughs> he's just fascinated from a um, programming perspective or whatever, but you can tell he's he's not fully bought in as as records, but he's interested enough to stick around. But uh, do you think do you think they're ref- they're they're reflections of each? Uh, you know, Picard is the older version of Riker in that situation uh, because Picard I do himself that. says, "I this is like something I would do." Right. I would choose a program like this. So it's kind of establishing that. Except um, Picard would have chosen Paris as the location. No, of course. (laughs) Of course. course. Uh, What I'm saying is is that, you know, Picard is, is, it kind of uh, establishes that Picard might be a more mature version of Riker. So we kind of, we're informed of not only Riker, but Picard as well. Because Picard is, is, you know, talking to this girl, chatting her up, just as well as Riker is, you know? I think that's a great point. And even just thematically, it works because, you you know, we have the binars, which work in pairs. And in many ways, Picard and Riker are a binary situation on the Enterprise. They work in pairs as well. And, you know, they feed off of each other's knowledge and create, you know, and that helps uh, Captain Picard um, for sure make decisions. And I think also it's even visually illustrated at the end when when they do uh, figure out the the binar plot and uh, and figure out how they can help the binars, uh, they realize that uh, in order to execute the core dump to transfer the binar computer system back to their homeworld computer, they have to do it in a pair. And it's really pr- it's beautifully filmed because they're in sync whatever they're typing on the on the computer system. And then when the binars reactivate, they both turn. Uh, in their chairs at exactly the same rotation and the same speed. And it's just all very visually, it's very, uh, very uh, parallel. And I thought I really enjoyed that touch um, about the episode. Absolutely. That's a good call. And and also the scene when they're coming down the corridor after they picked up the weapons and they're just marching down that corridor and, and, and they're just side by side, you know, right. captain and first officer. That's a great shot. Uh, picking up on what you just mentioned about, you know, binary, about teams, um, you know, you have when everyone's uh, taking time off, we see Jordy pair up with Data. Data, which, you're right. Which is what we'll see as the, the show goes on. Jordy and Data 
are a pair. They're right, right. they're always you know together when it's time off and all that stuff. They're buddies. Um, you also see uh, Worf pair up with Tasha. With Tasha, you know, they're going off to play. I don't know what the, the Hialeah or something. I don't know. But it was the uh, Parisi Squares. Parisi Squares. It sounds like that game in Battlestar Galactica. Uh, and actually, their 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 game uniforms were pretty interesting. I thought they were like kind of yeah. kind of cool. It looked like armor mixed with spandex. Yeah, <laughs> and and Worf's Worf's reactions to you know his uh, we have to win at all costs. Oh yeah, that was well. Yeah, that, that was, was cool. a that was a cool scene where uh, basically Riker's saying, "Hey guys, uh, go out there and you know." Uh, make sure you represent the Enterprise, and Worf takes it really seriously. He's like, "Oh yes, of course, we'll annihilate you know the competition or whatever." And he goes, he, he Riker t- <laughs> feels it's necessary to remind him that it's also about just having fun and and meeting new people. And he's like, "Well, if there's really no competition, then why do you keep score?" And he brings up a good point. But then uh-huh. Tasha tries to assure Riker that you know that's like. Worf's idea of humor, which I I think it comes across that way as well. But the fact that Tasha knows this indicates right. that Tasha that and Worf are you know are buddies as well, yeah. up. So there we have that. Um, Doctor Crusher's yeah. running off to go see uh, a colleague of hers, um, so she's yeah. running off to. Yes, she's alone. Well, she's alone on the ship, but she's running off to become a pair. With, right, but there's no crew person. Yeah, there's no regular cast that she pairs up with, which I thought was interesting, because there's a line. You know, Riker says at one point, "Oh, it looks like you're packing up to leave for good," which I think kind of. Uh, I mean, not that it was intentional, but it kind of foreshadows. It does foreshadow what will happen. Happen. And uh, can I just mention that there is somebody <laughs> who is once again, once again, not a part of this episode. And this is a great episode, and I'm I'm just gonna leave it at that. This, um, so I I want to take that that uh that opportunity to bring up that Doctor Crusher does in fact later pair up, um and become buddies with Counselor Troy. Um, there's there's a oh there's a, wait they used to take those dance classes. Those they took those dance classes together, dance which dance classes. a lot of fans enjoy that. Uh, relationship and the and the camaraderie between them and and I guess some fans enjoy the leotards. Um, and then there, <laughs> I'm in the yeah, leotard those leotards. Oh, those weird space leotards. Um, but yeah, so even Doctor Crusher later does pair up with um, Counselor Troy in terms of uh, a buddy. And but we have young Wesley. He's alone. He's on the bridge. He's kind of uh, Manning. You know, he's kind of just at first he's curious about the binars, and then Riker takes the opp- sees that he's kind of hanging around anyways, and takes the opportunity to put a watchful eye on the binars um, by asking Wesley to keep an eye on them. Mm-hmm. It's it's Which, interesting too. Riker's suspicious of the binars from pretty much the start. Whereas I know that is that is kind of uh, it's kind of odd. Well, he gets a little tingle or something. You know, he gets a gut feeling about it. Um, but he had the same reaction um, when the tra- in the Traveler episode. Do you remember? Oh, I do remember. But in that episode, you know, again, there is there is a potential of harm, and I think that's what um, 
Riker seems to be hypersensitive to that, whereas uh, Captain Picard, although is sensitive to that, tends to be, I think, a little bit more um, uh, wait and see. And that plays to his maturity again. Uh, but it's great to have uh, the voice of that kind of like uneasy spirit through Riker uh, informing him. You know, it works really well. All the relationships works work really well. And I think this episode is a great episode, which illustrates how uh, all the uh, how complex um, all the relationships on the show are. Yeah. And then um, I, I, what you were just saying about Riker, I also think that Riker kind of um, Riker exemplifies the. Kirk, Kirk, you know how Kirk loved the Enterprise. He loved the ship, the physical ship itself. And I think Riker seems to be more like Kirk in that regard. Like, no, 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 let's, you know, like, like he's always thinking of not harming the Enterprise. You know what I'm saying? Like, wait a minute, like not, not harming it, but just thinking twice before you do anything to the Enterprise, you know, cause he, you can see that he may well very well become a captain like Kirk who will love the ship I mean he's saying no to a relationship with Troy because he wants to be a captain he wants to love a ship first um, um, Picard I don't think ever really loves the ship uh, oh uh, no no no, no I'm, not, I'm not saying okay Picard is more willing Picard sees the ship as a tool and is more than willing to crash the ship or, or, or separate the ship or, 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 or whatever, wow. you know, to do what must be done. But he doesn't, he, he, he's not very nostalgic for the ship. Remember Riker is the one at the end of generations who sort of, you know, looking at the chair and be like, I always thought I'd sit in that chair, you know, and Picard's just kind of like, I'm just here for my book. <laughs> You know? so, I'm just here for my what my family album is that no no the Shakespeare book remember no he, it's his family album that he recovered oh is that what it is oh I thought it was the Shakespeare book okay no. <laughs> all these years I thought he went back for Shakespeare oh I had no idea okay well it's the album that he's looking at in the beginning of the movie where he, where his nephew dies you've you've watched that movie more times than <laughs> have, so I I defer to you yes in yes. that regard all right well but, it's fun. Yeah, but Riker, um, and just the idea that Riker can even even uh, entertain the idea of falling in love with a hologram shows that he has no qualms about, you know, uh, showing love towards something that's not really human. Well, actually, you know, that's a great um, that's a great dilemma that's going to be more apparent. Uh, as time goes by, but uh, you know, humans do tend to do this. If it's not, uh, you know, at this time in our, you know, achievement technologically, we can't create a holographic um, facsimile of a human like Minuet. It's a, it's just this is still in the realm of our wildest dreams and and fictions. Um, but how often do we read a character, read about a character in a book that we fall in love with and, and, and attribute, uh, that character as being a real person? How often do we see, or, you know, throughout the course of a show that we love, uh, I think we start following and falling in love with, um, 
with characters. And uh, there's going to be a really fun thing with Minuet coming up later in an episode in, in season six, I want to say. Or wow, season... that, it's, it's that far in the, in the future? I think it might even be season seven. I'm not sure. It might be six or five or seven. It's later seasons. Uh, Minuet um, comes back as Min Riker. Uh, you know, so there's a... There's going to be an interesting thing involving that. Um, but I think that what she represents ultimately is this kind of like, uh, you know, in the dialogue between Riker and Minuet, there's something revealing that occurs. You know, she uh, she calls him kind of, she kind of res- just calls attention to certain things he says. And um, one of them uh, is that he she's anticipating it's like she's drawn from his subconscious and and she anticipates things he's going to say and then she says the perfect thing before he even knows what it is you know and picard is like well isn't that what's exciting about any beginning of a romance and it's true and it's it's, it's like um you know when someone says something to you that just sounds perfect it's in that courtship phase or that that you know flirting time it it just really strikes a bunch of uh chords and i think that's that's basically what the binars i think what was happening is that the binars are probably a lot more creative than we than they appear and it's very possible i'm thinking on a technical level here that the reason minuet worked so well while the binars were aboard the ship is because the computer was feeding information from Riker directly to the binars and they're working like, you know, like crazy. So to them, it's just like, Oh yeah, uh, she should respond this way. Like, you know, binars just are a little bit more human than a computer might be. And so that little influence was able to give Minuet this other dimension. So Riker was maybe interacting with a real person in, in the sense that he may have been interacting with one or all of the binar operators um, and un- unknowingly. And so then when they leave, the computer loses that capability of creating this like perfect match or this perfect romantic match uh, for Riker, if that makes any sense. You know, I had never really ever thought about why it doesn't work. When they leave, I have to be honest with you. I'd never, because it's it's it just it the ending works so well. I mean, it's such a wonderful melancholy ending, and uh, it's it's actually I think it's a quite beautiful ending. Um, but I never really thought about it on the technical level. I just when a story works, you don't really think about the nuts and bolts. Uh, it's well, interesting. well um, as you know, my interest I have a lot of interest in in computers. Right. Um, that's um, so yeah, I just like to me as a kid, I immediately started thinking about how did that all that work? Like, can I ever build a computer like that? <laughs> See, I, I was just very taken by Riker. I wanted, I wanted a computer companion. I wanted a minuet. Like, who didn't want minuet after that episode? I mean, who wouldn't want? A perfect companion and you know as a side note uh going outside of the star trek universe did you see the movie her no no i didn't i would suggest you check out this movie her i don't know if you'll like it but it's a very interesting and similar kind of uh theme expanded of course to another level and more uh more in line with some of the technology that we have at present but 
you know, I, I think humans do do experience loneliness, um, but we don't always uh, we don't always think that uh, we have the time to uh, go out and seek companionship. You know, some some humans part like Riker prioritizes his duties over these romantic relationships. So uh, it's completely understandable why he falls in love when she reacts the way she does and, and is so engaging. Uh, it's completely understandable why Riker uh, falls in love with Minuet and the idea is so tempting of like, hey, I'm having a stressful day. I'm gonna go hang out with Minuet in the holodeck. And we do later see a character, a couple of characters get into this kind of trouble again uh, in the holodeck, uh, you know, Jordy creates Leah, <laughs> Leah Brahms, and that gets him into trouble later when the real Leah Brahms uh, <laughs> uh, meets her uh, holographic counterpart. And um, uh, Reginald Barkley, uh, Lieutenant, is is he Lieutenant Barkley, right? Lieutenant Barkley, yeah. Lieutenant Barkley, he uh, he gets into real trouble because. <laughs> Yeah, because he he chooses to depict uh, some of the Enterprise crew members in in ways that are he uses their uh, their visage or their or their you know their the physical avatar. image or avatar and puts them into these very interesting uh, situations. You know what? I was in. Oh, go ahead. I, I just remember um, Troy saying, "I am the goddess of empathy." Troy. <laughs> What's that? Speaking of Troy, mm -hmm. did you find it interesting that Minuet is nothing like Troy? I could have actually seen a similar... Like, when Troy and Riker first met, I can imagine their interactions when they didn't know each other very well being similar in the tone of the flirtation. But you're absolutely right, Minuet is nothing like Counselor Troy. But I can see how Riker and Troy could have had a similar uh, pattern or recipe of flirtation when they first met. Uh, but Troy and Riker are years into their relationship. It's a very different relationship. And plus, they're not intimate uh, anymore. And there's a lot of complications. And so I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question. No, I just thought it was, it was it's interesting that because, <laughs> I mean, the later episode that you were you're referring to that comes up later on kind of implies that, you know, Riker, uh, if, if he had his druthers, he would stay with some version of Minuet right. for the rest of his life. And, and of course we know he never does. Yeah. He stays with, you know, eventually, I mean, he waits a really long time to marry Troy. Um, I don't know. I just, I just think it's interesting, you know, um, I think that is a really good point. And, you know, I think it also maybe, plays to the idea that um, perhaps there isn't just one person for you, but some things just, you know, some things just get in the way and, and don't mm -hmm. work out. And, and sometimes, uh, so you just move on, you know, it's, it's a very, I think it's a very deep episode. Actually, you're touching on some really deep uh, uh, dilemmas that, that regular people face, not just, uh, not just uh, amazing people that fly around in starships. Uh, another moment that I liked a lot was uh, Data's regret at having indulged in painting. And he's like, I should have stayed on the ship. I should have stayed on the bridge, rather. And, and they're like, no, but, you know, you're entitled to, you know, you have to take a break. And he's like, no, I don't. I don't have to take a break. I don't have to go paint. But I chose to, and I shouldn't have. And... Um, you know that was that was a nice data moment. Uh, it wasn't. 
Go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I, I liked Data throughout the episode because, I mean, you had him, you know, uh, taking time off. And then you had him taking command and taking command quite firmly. Um, you know, Wesley, who's forever questioning orders, he's like, but shouldn't we notify the captain? Data's like, no, there's no time. Evacuate right. the ship now. Just very, you know. Data does absolutely does the right thing. It's actually quite awesome um, to see him kind of kick into command mode. And uh, we do get opportunities later. And and I think in the expanded Star Trek universe, uh, Data, as we did on the other episode, Data Lore, um, Data has a ship eventually. He does command a ship. Do you remember what the ship was? Wouldn't it be funny if it was the Tripoli? Somehow. Yeah. I think that it'd be interesting because uh, Data could command a ship for hundreds of years. Yeah, absolutely. That's true. That, would be a neat, um, that could be a neat uh, Star Trek, uh, Star Trek uh, side side piece. <laughs> the what ifs. Um, no, and I really I did like that. Um, I also like how um, he did. You know, he did have that regret, which is very human. I don't think he realized that second guessing your decisions is uh, is the mark of uh, of being a human or being you know sentient, uh, because you're not sure of what the future is going to be, and you so you have and you know you're not sure uh, if you had changed a decision in the past, how would it have affected where you are situationally right now? You know, but I think he's he's taught through Tasha's uh, insistence that the same thing could have happened. That you know you you okay. can't regret. You can't regret your decisions uh, sometimes, even if they turn out to uh, end in some kind of disaster. Yeah, um, I, I agree. Um, you know, uh, something that I thought was interesting was that we never saw the binars again. What, how, what do you think of the binars? What's your, what's they're, your take? They're finally, I think this is the first time we have the most original kind of new uh, species introduced in Star Trek, but I guess they just don't um, beyond this little kind of story. Maybe they're they're just not very present. It sounds like what they do is uh, just their their entire civilization is obsessed with computing and increasing the ability of computing and uh, increasing their life their life joys. What however they receive joy, it has to do with being linked up to a computer and being a pair, a linked up pair. It's a completely alien idea what the binars represent and what they are. They're so different from humans and it, and it's really even hard to imagine humans even evolving uh, to this kind of existence, but it's cool to see it um, in the binars. Um, they're not bad guys. They're good guys. We know they kind of go around, uh, you know, they're one of the things they do is uh, for fun or or as part of their societal mission is they go around uh, learning about more com other computers and they go around optimizing computers on starships. It's pretty interesting. They apparently they appear in uh, the Starfleet Corps of Engineers books, which is a series of books which uh, features um, Scotty, Jordy, and uh, it's about the Starfleet Corps of Engineers and binars are a part of that series. I haven't read any of the books. But they're on the covers. Oh, so excellent. I guess they have ongoing binar characters in those books. But uh, I, I was surprised that we never had another, uh, even just in the background or something, just another pair of binars or 
or, or just a mention. I thought they were a very unique uh, race. And um, What would you think of a show that incorporated a binar character serving on a starship, uh, you know, as a Starfleet officer, but it's actually the, the pair. <laughs> right. It has to be the binar pair. Exactly. Pair, yeah. yeah, you're right. It might be interesting to see what happens also if, like, let's say uh, a binar uh, Starfleet officer pair goes down on an away mission and one of the pair gets killed. Does the other one survive? How does it deal with life? Like, that might be a really good uh, story to tell. Yeah. And I'm, I, I imagine they're at memory alpha is, is there's various pairs of them there. Cause that, that, <laughs> that's probably uh, computer storage, you know, computer core, right? It'd be great if a binar pair were the curator or the, uh, the kind of like lead engineer or lead scientist uh, at memory alpha. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. 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 If it can't be a Vulcan, I think maybe a binar would be a good idea. I think a binar would be appropriate, actually, because Vulcans can't even uh, interact with a computer as fast as a binar could. And I actually really uh, thought they sold um, those scenes really well, where the binars are just like, they're in a frenzy, it looks like, and they're just like interacting with each other on such a high level, and they almost have to like breathe and slow down to interact with humans and it's like almost like a burden or some kind of like annoyance to them a little bit because they seem like really startled and overwhelmed so i thought that like the character um development was really good on this episode as well and they and they were able to like tell you a lot about the binars uh in a little bit of time and, and also uh wesley again uh, he doesn't have a he doesn't have much dialogue in this episode but just the very fact that uh, the way he's watching them, it, it kind of calls back to what the traveler was, was saying about him, is that he's gifted in, in seeing things. So when he's watching the binars working on the bridge, you almost get the sense in Wesley's look that he's seeing something that maybe somebody else wouldn't see that the binars are doing. And he's, he's absolutely captivated by it. And he's like, you know, he, he's, he's, he's watching it, I think, on a different level. That's what I, I took from it. I, I totally agree with you. There is that that kind of subtext there. And I also um, I also like that uh, Wesley is kind of inquires about them. And then we learn more about uh, the binars. And they do. And, you know, he's kind of astonished. And, and he's like, wow, it, it, that sounds like a really cool kind of existence to, to be able to to interact with computers the way you do. And, and they're and they're and they just before Captain uh, Picard comes in and kind of interrupts. Um, they're about to tell him that there are the ups and there are downs to that kind of existence. Yeah, that's true. They do say that. That's yeah, an interesting line. Yeah. yeah, so it's cool. Um, you could see that they they have a little more patience for Wesley because he's genuinely curious about them. Uh, but they're in a hurry to try to save their planet. <laughs> Which we see hardly anything of, of it. We don't even still, see like a planet. No, yeah, that's right. We don't. That's interesting. Yeah, it's curious. We don't. Yeah, they really saved on the uh, special effects in this episode, I think. Well, but because... Because Starbase 74. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Can we take at least 20 minutes to talk about... Oh, my God. <laughs> the highlight of the episode is the Enterprise-D uh, arriving at Space Dock. Oh, my gosh. And they've, they've the, effect, the enhanced effects look amazing. 
this was another episode where the music stood out too. They used that kind of like the fanfare a lot in the episode. Yeah, you're right. And um, you know, I thought that the space dock scenes had a really nice score accompanying them, and you really do get the uh, the impression of um, you you really do get the idea that um, that it's Star Trek you know, from the musical cues. And guess what? It was our favorite, Ron Jones, once again. Really? Yeah, Ron Jones, you're doing a great job here in season one. Uh, <laughs> when, when Picard sits down and, and takes the, the the helm, as he's typing, as he's, you know, hitting the controls, you hear the fanfare in the back, you know, playing in the background subtly. And, and it's, it's a wonderful touch. Cause it's yeah, like, there's a... The musical cues in this episode were really spot on, I thought, and they yeah. they added to. Uh, not to mention um, the selection of jazz music in the uh, holodeck uh, nightclub was great, and and we haven't touched on this yet, but um, this is I think the first time we're introduced to Riker's hobby of of music. Like he likes the trom, you know he he's a he likes to play the trombone. And it's kind of funny because he's pretty good. I mean, I didn't, I didn't detect uh, a flaw in his performance, but the pianist says, uh, "Better not quit your day job there." <laughs> you know, it's like well, it, it really is, uh, as we all know at this point, it really is uh, uh, Jonathan Frakes playing the trombone. Right. So it's kind of a play on like, well, you know, don't quit your day job. Yeah, but but Jonathan uh, Frakes, Mr. Frakes, I think you did a great job and you play the trombone uh, pretty well. Now, I tried to look up what the piece he was playing is. Um, oh, yeah, and I, I didn't have a lot of luck, but oh, <laughs> the doctor. Let me see if I can. Star Trek Compendium. Actually, let me see what this. You know, I, I just watched it, I mean, right before this, so I haven't mm -hmm. had any time to really consult anything or or even uh or even think about it the episode much I'm just this is really straight from now oh, his uh what he does the story even allows jonathan frakes to demonstrate his real life trombone playing his rendition of the nearness of you repeated later in the episode's uh conundrum and uh, minuet would appear again in future imperfect okay what season is that? Does it tell you? No, it tells me the episode number, but not. I'll look uh, it up while you do, while you keep telling us some awesome information. Uh, the four actors used for the binars were all women dancers, whose voice track was mechanically lowered in pitch. Initially, covert dialogue among them was designed to be subtitled. Gene uh, Donarski should be familiar to longtime Trek fans as Ben. Childress in Mud's Women and Crodoc in The Mark of Gideon. Oh, that's um the guy in charge of the Starbase. Oh. Yep. Excellent. Well, um the minuet um return happens in season four, episode eight, it looks like. Four, okay. So yeah, that's really exciting stuff. And so the nearness of you, I'm gonna have to look that up and listen to it tonight uh, before I go to bed. It was a really, really nice uh, rendition there, Mr. Yeah. Freaks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, uh, and also we 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 cannot we cannot uh, forget. Actually, hold on, let me bring this down. The perform the excellent performance of Carolyn McCormick. Yes, Minuet. 
Law and Order. She's she continues to uh, garner uh, fame as an actress through Law and Order. She's on Law and Order later on. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't know that. Well, yeah. she's she's fabulous. I mean, right away she's very captivating in the role. I mean, you you really understand why Riker falls for her right away. Um, she she does a great job and. You know the subtleties of her performance are excellent because you know when she's seducing Riker and Picard, uh, compare that to when she's simply delivering information that they need. Once right. the ruse, once the ruse is up, she becomes a, a lot a lot less animated, uh, a lot more just as like a computer. Right. Well, um, you know, and maybe the binars also kind of did something interesting in giving the computer a personality. Mm -hmm. um, through Minuet, you know, because, oh, by the way, I did think that was interesting. For some reason, in engineering, the computer voice is a male voice, whereas on the rest of the ship, it's... I was uh, about to ask you that. Yeah, I wanted Miguel to ask you Barry. why that is. I don't really know. <laughs> but is it that it's an engineering, or is it only male when you access the self-destruct? No, because when uh, Jordy and... Um, and uh, and um, data are in engineering in the first scene where they're about to evacuate. Uh, the interactions they're having are also with the same male computer voice. Could it be because of the upgrades being made to the computer? That could be. Yeah, that's a great explain. That's a great way to explain that away. <laughs> Maybe that's the default voice or something. Or the yeah, I would, I would say so. Who knows? But yeah, I do like that. You also do. You also do get. Majel Barrett, Roddenberry's voice as uh, the computer everywhere else. What do you think about the uh, the self-destruct sequence? The last time we had a self-destruct sequence on screen for Star Trek was in Star Trek III. Um, Which I, I remember in the original series, there were a couple times where self-destruct self is like a big deal. It's like there's no other option. You can't allow the starship to get into the hands of the enemy. So, you know, it is an option. Right. Once that, again, uh, I want to point out, it's Picard's call. And Riker's kind of like, oh. <laughs> Picard doesn't really care. Picard's ship <laughs> is a tool. Picard's <laughs> like, no, number one. This is what we have to do because da 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 And Riker's kind of like, we, uh, okay, all right, all right. I mean, I have a weird feeling that Picard would have figured out a way to get off the ship before it self-destructed. You know, they would have gotten on. I know, but he has no clones. Whereas Kirk, I think, with him, it is absolutely endgame. <laughs> like, you you do not self-destruct the ship unless, you know, you kill Hassan and... <laughs> you know, the planet. I mean, it's 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 it has to be very very dire. There there are scenes in the original. There are some situations in the original series, if I recall. Now I can't recall anything specific. You might might have a better memory about this than I do. But there are certain episodes that are called maybe more than once where Captain Kirk does initiate the self destruct sequence. Well, he bluffs them. Hmm. He bluffs them with the self destruct, doesn't he? So, with yeah, but maybe. Yeah, so maybe this was like Picard. <laughs> Picard. No, this is not Picard bluffing. He's gonna blow the damn thing up. <laughs> but what do you think about just? I don't know. I I kind of liked in Star Trek Three how you know you needed it was the um, 
You needed Ooh. everyone on the bridge crew who happened to be there to <laughs> code. You remember they had a code. It was a code. Yeah, each 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 individual had a code, and then the captain had the final code, which was zero, 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 destruct, zero. <laughs> Here I mean, they just use biometrics and and like voice print authorization, and I think that's just fine. I mean, like I don't think no, you. No, I want. <laughs> Although it makes you wonder, what are the destruct codes on other ships? <laughs> because I mean, it's perfect on the air. It's like. <laughs> Destruct zero. It's like, what? Does somebody have you know four, four, four? Destruct four. I mean, I know. imagine one of the things that happens when you get handed the keys to a starship is that you have like a little session where like the computer's like, Captain, what would you like your self-destruct pin code to be? And then you tell, <laughs> you know, you tell the computer all these things so that like later on, can you yeah. imagine if you forget the self-destruct code? Can you imagine? Like People what happens? Forget that, their passwords. That'd be the worst thing ever. But that's why biometrics and voice print authorization is is just as effective as having a self destruct pin code. But as we know today, uh, I'm sorry, your self destruct pin code has expired. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh, that's terrible. Um, that's one of my favorite parts of the episode: is the self destruct. And that they give themselves only five minutes. I, I don't know why they can't give themselves a little more time. But it don't matter. I love. I love the episode. <laughs> I don't care. I know it doesn't make any sense, but don't it, think, I think the episode. It's like I think, you only have five minutes. <laughs> I think we're finding that like it. We're more forgiving of these little incongruities or like these little. Um, plot holes when the overall episode is, the tone and the the vibe of the overall episode is exciting and i think that's where you're for you this episode just hit all the marks to, that engaged you and kind of excited you um and, th and the same for me and whereas like we both were less engaged with angel one you were like extremely less engaged with angel one uh, and so you just couldn't see any of the any of the benefits of it but here it, the the benefits outweigh the the um the drawbacks absolutely and and yeah it's, it's a two-way street i mean i'm willing to forgive you know s this much if you're giving me that much back in in another you know in another way so i mean if the acting is is of a higher caliber which is superb or, acting in this episode yeah superb acting in this if the uh, character development is is makes sense if the the uh, the excitement level is uh, of a certain of a certain well, level. So this is one of the episodes that was produced by Herman Zimmerman. Oh really? Oh well. Yeah. There we go. yeah, yeah so there that's we know he's really good. Um, so I think yeah. Overall, this episode was just done uh, extremely well, and and we were introduced to. I think at, at its core, this is what Star Trek. Uh, is about is discovering new strange new life forms and uh, opening our minds to things that we never thought about and so the binars are a kind of like such an alien kind of culture and society yet at the end of the episode we end up being very you know embracing of them and loving them and curious about them and even talking about how we want more binars in star trek that's a good point. And then let's just compare with Angel One, where we actually, you know, in this episode, we don't even see the planet. 
and yet we're intrigued by the binars. We only see, you know, a small selection of them. Yet on Angel One, we go to the planet, we see their society, we see their matriarch, we see all this stuff, and yet they're just plain boring. Uh, it, 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 there's nothing to them. Well, could it be that? Could it be that what's more fascinating is not seeing a para a parallel of your own society's failings, uh, tr thinly veiled behind this like alien human, very human. They look human. They don't look anything different from us. Um, so that's like the boring part. It's like these guys. They look like humans. They don't really seem alien at all. And this is a thinly veiled kind of political statement. Whereas in this episode, there's no political statement. It's completely new. It's completely strange. It's completely out there. In and the binars don't look anything like humans, except for the fact that they're bipedal. They're humanoid. I, I would say yes. I would say the same applies to Doctor Who. You know, my favorite Doctor Who episodes are the ones that take place off of Earth, by and large. Right. I don't like the seasons where they get stuck on Earth uh, the whole season. I like the seasons where they go out and see the universe. That's why I watch Doctor Who. And I watch Star Trek to, uh, you know, encounter, you know, new civilizations, new life, new civilizations. That's the mantra. It's in it's 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 in the uh, the freaking uh, opening of the show. I, I I don't really want to see something that looks like what I already have. That's you very know, cool. Very interesting. Know, uh, the binars are, are unique. They're they're cool. They're they're purple. <laughs> you know they're. Uh, I like a sh purpley pink. Purpley pink. You know. Um, they're. Uh, I. It's this is to me. You know. Golden Scott seems to want Star Trek to have, because he's always saying, there's no space battles. I guess he's really into space battles. I guess because of DS9. He's been spoiled. Um, there are a lot of space battles. There are a lot of space battles in DS9, granted. Um, I think Star Trek is, this is the quintessential Star Trek episode to me. It, it, they encounter a new race. We They give us uh, a, 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 we, a problem arises in encountering them and it's resolved in a, in a, in a positive way by the end of the episodes. We, we don't kill them. You know, right. we don't destroy them. Uh, we don't neutralize them. It, 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 we work out the misunderstanding, which I, I think is very Roddenberry-esque. You know, I mean, that is Gene Roddenberry's... Uh, uh, M.O. Yeah, M.O. Is, is you know, it, it's, it's not always... Like you said earlier, they're not good. I mean, they're not bad. They're just misunderstood for the moment. Right, right. You know, I mean, obviously the binars have been given a lot of access in Starfleet. I mean, to, I mean, to give them access to the computer core on the Enterprise D. My gosh, you know. Yeah, it's true. I'm sure all of that is now under review, and uh, but I think it'll be. It'll be, considering the gravity of the situation, I think the binars will be given a second chance. Well, if they give Kirk a second chance, I think they'll... <laughs> that Federation Council is very forgiving. It is true. The Federation Council is very uh, very uh, good at what they do. They really uh, weigh the, uh, the uh, benefits over the uh, drawbacks there. Um, what would you give this episode on a five-star scale? Five. Five point five. 
Yeah, let's. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna jump in with you and and also give this five stars. And I'd like to say that I think uh, to. I just thought of something. Uh, by the way, Gold Scott, sorry you can be with us on this episode, but we understand that you know you have a life as well. Uh, <laughs> Unlike us. Uh, <laughs> Goldu Scott, I think also one thing that he really um, points out about Deep Space Nine um, on the other show is that um, Star Trek: The Generation is very like encapsulated. Most of the episodes are just everything's resolved in in one episode, and sometimes that doesn't work like in Angel One, but sometimes it works really well, like in this episode uh, with the Binars. Um, um, and I think that's what he likes about deep space nine is that they tend to like spread things out slightly more over a few episodes. And there is a, a different, like a lot of micro arcs and mini arcs, uh, along with the greater, you know, arc right. of, the, right. of the show. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. DS nine, I think is probably Star Trek and it's the most mature storytelling, um, overall. And, uh, but, you know the formula that next generation use uh i think i think this is a, this is a, a perfect example of it you know it's it's something that starts when you know, at the beginning of the hour and is resolved perfectly by the end of the hour right and, uh and there aren't any lingering cuz sometimes that is that is a criticism that i would throw at next generation is sometimes they create these great premises for an episode and then they're resolved like that, you know, and, 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 and you feel, you, you literally feel time ticking away and you're like, okay, well, we got to cut to the end and, and we have to leave everything in, in a good way. And, and you're like, no, it wouldn't be resolved that quickly. Um, uh, but this episode, it, it's, it's, I think this is, this is, this is a perfect episode. This is a really, really good episode. I liked it a lot. I'm curious to know what Goldie Scott would uh, thinks of it, but uh, if he doesn't think this is a great episode, uh, he's he's missing the. Yeah, we'll have to get like many recaps from Goldie Scott about these uh, these two episodes that we've uh, recorded without him. By the way, you did mention earlier that it is Memorial Day. When this episode uh, airs, however, or when it is released, it will not be Memorial Day. So yes, we do sometimes record. Uh, extra episodes and then air them later. Yes. Thank you for that programming note. <laughs> Anything else about this uh, episode before we uh, head off into our, uh, into our days? No, I think, uh, I think that's it. Well, thank okay. you. It was really good. Uh, really great discussion. Um, look forward to the next episode, which is, oh, which is, what is it? Let's find out. I can't remember. Such a bad memory. <laughs> All right, so it's Star Trek episode number. Let's see here. The internet's wonderful, everyone. We're almost at memory alpha. We're we're almost there. I think we're gonna have a a, compu a planetary computer core at some point in our lifetimes. What do you think? We're gonna have a chip right here, like the binaries. <laughs> okay, so it's going to be too short a season, which it's is another great episode. Is it? Uh, yes, it's the um, it's the episode with um, uh, what's his face, um, uh, Captain. Oh gosh, what's his name? I forget the name of the captain, but uh, oh, Admiral Mark Jameson, and he he's not even a captain; he's an admiral. 
Admiral Mark Jameson, where he he Is that takes the old dude, and then he becomes young. Yeah, it's the Lazarus, <laughs> the Lazarus effect. You like that episode? Yeah, you'll see. I think you'll like it too. That's a crusher. It's kind of a crusher episode, isn't it? Well, I don't remember. I have to watch it now. She, I don't remember. I just remember it's really good because of the whole, the whole thing. The re- it's another, uh, it's another revenge. So this will parallel Dax, which is an uh, episode that we saw in, um, and talked about on Drunk Space Nine. <laughs> so this will uh, now I have something to add to it through a timey wimey way. I'm seeing it oh. through a different lens. Yeah. There we go. So maybe watch this episode and watch Dax and see if there's some parallels. That's your assignment, Doctor. <laughs> All right. I'll, All right. I'll do my best. Live long and prosper, and thank you. Bye.